Hello and welcome to a new episode of SIS Masters podcast. I'm Arnaud Rijard, founder of Sports Innovation Society, and I interview for you some of the best experts in the sports industry. Today I welcome Andrew Messick, President and Chief Executive Officer of the Ironman Group since 2011. The Ironman Group has grown from a triathlon-focused company to the world's largest organizer of mass participation events, with hundreds of events a year across more than 50 countries in triathlon. But not only triathlon, also running, trail running, road cycling and mountain biking. Today, Andrew shares with us his broad experience and deep dives into Ironman's group strategy, its properties, and the future of such an institution. And before we start this episode, many thanks to Sportsmanias, presenting partner of SIS Masters podcast. Sportsmanias is a creative digital agency recognized as the industry leader in animated emojis and augmented reality effects connecting partners and brands with fans' conversations on every major mobile messaging and social media platform. Sportsmania's emojis and AR effects have driven over 15 billion views to date. 15 billion. Feel free to check out sportsmania.com. Hi, Andrew. Who are you today back into beautiful California? I'm doing very well. It stopped raining in California, which is good. Usually in California, they worry about not enough rain, but this winter, it seems like it's been the opposite. And the snowpack is extremely uh, strong. The skiing is good. And California is pretty much wet all over right now. So a good winter. Skiing into winter is fantastic. One of the things I miss most in Mexico is skiing. <laughs> Thanks for your time today for SIS Masters podcast. I appreciate your time. As I was telling you before, uh, my career started in triathlon, uh, organizing label, uh, label events uh, number nine and 10. Uh, so, so that was some years ago. But So I'm very happy to interview you today and speak about what fascinates me, uh, the Ironman and way beyond. But before we did dive into your work as a CEO of the Ironman Group, please let me know more about yourself. How did you fall in love with sport? I've been involved in sport my entire life and have been an athlete since I was very, very young. I played soccer as a youth. I ran track and cross country in high school. I played rugby in college. I've um, have been, there's never been a time when participating in sports really hasn't been a part of my life. And I became a triathlete when I was right around my 40th birthday and, and wanted a challenge and triathlon represented, uh, an, an interesting set of sports that I was familiar with but had never thought of competing in together. And I did my first triathlon in uh, 2004 at the New York City Triathlon. And uh, from there, it was a short path to Ironman Canada and Ironman Lake Placid and, and many other races. It's like in triathlon when you start... You want more, always more. Uh, I mean, you've been four-time, I run my I run my finisher. You qualified for the 
uh, for the 70.3 World Championship. You've completed six of the Abbott World Marathon majors. What does it bring to you? What 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 has benefits you get from it? What is it you're looking for when you practice as as an athlete? I like all of it. I like how preparing for a difficult event gives you purpose and focus. Mm-hmm. I like the training. It is good for my mind and for my body. I like the racing. I love being with the community of athletes where everyone is united by the goal of completing this very arduous task. All all those things are extremely meaningful to me and, and collectively sort of inform my vision and passion for endurance sports. Hmm. It seems very, am I wrong if I say that what you're looking for is very similar to what you leave as a CEO of a company, uh, being having a strong focus, developing a vision, developing a community of people with the same passion uh, or brand brand love, at least. Uh, would, would you say it's similar? What do you think? I, I think there, there are, there are many similarities. And 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 those similarities are based on doing things that are difficult but worthwhile and i think that all of us when we reflect on the things we're proudest of in our lives very rarely are those things that are easy um i think we as people as humans are the proudest of difficult accomplishments ones that require creativity and cleverness and fortitude and effort you know and those are the things that we place value on those are the the things and the the things that we try to teach our children that you know the easy stuff isn't the worthwhile stuff and i think part of what is really meaningful in endurance sports is that you know, it is hard. It's supposed to be hard. And and endurance sports is, is really a manifestation of, you know, the values that you know, all of us find worthwhile and meaningful. Yeah. The easy stuff is not the, wor- um, the worthwhile stuff. I like it a lot. And in the company, it's the same. What you want to accomplish when you have a vision, it's way beyond what you are today. It's what you want to aspire to be, and it's uh, and it's not easy to get there. So now going to what you do, you've been at Ironman Group for almost ten years, if I'm correct. Almost you... twelve. Almost twelve. Yeah. All right. All I've right. been around a long time. I'm an I'm an old timer. All right. So tell us about your journey because you've you've been through amazing companies such as the NBA, AEG, and after Ironman Group, um, and before that a few. Uh, tell us about your journey. How did you end up working for what's your daily life as an athlete? You know, I was um, I was very happy um, working in 
basketball for the NBA. I, I enjoyed my time there. Uh, I enjoyed working f- for AEG. We owned the Los Angeles Kings of the National Hockey League. We owned the Los Angeles Galaxy and Houston Dynamo of Major League Soccer, the Amgen Tour of California Bike Race, and, and many other sports properties. And And I really enjoyed doing that. It was very satisfying to me. But I was also, at that time, an Ironman athlete. And Ironman was more exciting for me and and was more of a test and more of a, uh, I I would say, more of an aspirational brand. And so when I had an opportunity to move you away from sort of conventional sports to lead Ironman, it was, it was an easy choice for me. Um, I mean, I mean, who wouldn't, I mean, who wouldn't leave to go, to go run Ironman? Are you, I mean, are you kidding? <laughs> so it was more full, full feeling for you and you use all your experience that you had internationalization of a brand and so on to drive growth for Ironman. Very much. I, I felt that I had a skill and experience set that was going to be relevant for the job. I felt the crazy passion that all Ironman athletes feel for the brand. And I knew that if I had a chance to contribute to Ironman and I didn't do it, that, that I would regret that for forever. And I, I, and I wasn't prepared to do that. Life is not made to have regrets, no doubt. No, not for sure. <laughs> All right. So what does it mean being a, what, what is your version of, of a CEO of Ironman Group? What is your the job to be done? What is your daily life? Well, there's parts of it that are, that are fairly routine insofar as the being the CEO of any company, you've got, you know, planning and people stuff and budgets and, and all the usual things. Um, and, and that requires a fair amount of time and effort. I think the part that is most important, maybe not most urgent, but most important, is making sure the organization understands how important it is to create great experiences for our athletes. And that, yes, we're a big company. We operate between us and our partners 250 or more races every year in 55 countries. And that's a big number. It's a lot. But every athlete in every one of those races cares immensely about the experience that they're going to have at that race. And making sure that at every level in our company, people are focused on making sure that the experience our athletes have is remarkably good, I I think is the part of the job that I take the most seriously, because ultimately the athlete experience is the thing that separates us from other event organizers and creates the bond with our athletes. It's, it's how we make our athletes feel during the race and in particular at the finish line.
and more and more in the preparation as well, um, I would suppose. So athletes first, athletes first experience builds the greatest experience possible. Hmm. But I'm, I'm, I'm glad you say athletes. You're not saying triathletes uh, in the sense that in the history, for most people, Ironman group, many people, even in the sport business, still think, you know, Ironman group is about the Ironman and needs different forms, distances, I would say. But it's way beyond. It's way beyond that. You've become uh, the largest endurance events organizer with more than one million participants. How did you manage that shift from being a core, pure passion around triathlon, but be able to, you know, not losing these core fans, these core athletes, and expand to other sports, other disciplines? Well, I think that. We are, as an event organizer, one of the critical skills that we have is our ability to make races happen in in communities around the world. And, and that's using public waterways, public roadways, being able to work in partnership with communities to be able to make races happen. And and that's and that's a real skill. And organizing events, in particular in cities, requires lots of planning, deep cooperation with many, many, many different parts of of a community's leadership or government or government. And and it is a skill that we think applies both to triathlons and running races and cycling races, all different aspects of mass participation. And, and once you've developed those capabilities in a particular place in New Zealand or in Western Canada or in the South of France, the ability to do another event is easier because you have relationships at the city, you know the people you need to talk to, to be able to get medical support for the athletes, to close the roads, to be able to do all the things you need to be able to do to deliver an athlete experience. And so I think one of the things that we found over the years is that the capabilities that we developed by being a triathlon company have applicability more broadly and enable us to be a good organizer of running races and cycling races and mountain biking races and increasingly trail running races. And so a, a lot of the, the skills and capabilities and investments that we've made have the ability to be applied to more than just long distance triathlon. triathlon. And, and that's been one of the changes that we've made in the company over the last seven or eight years. And, and one of the reasons that we think it makes sense for us to be involved in, you know, running and cycling and some of these other areas. And are there a lot of synergies? Because organizing an event in Auckland, New Zealand is, you know, is it the same teams as the one organizing in Nice or the one organizing in Los Angeles? Where, where do you have a scaling, do you have any scaling effects? We do, and, and New Zealand is, is a good example because we've always operated Ironman New Zealand and the 70.3 in Taupo, 
Yeah. Uh, we bought the Auckland Marathon coming up on a decade ago. We own the Queenstown Marathon. We own a, a running event in Hawks Bay. We've had other types of events. We own a ultra race, uh, an ultra trail race outside of Rotorua. Um, and, and so our, we, we have a single team of people in New Zealand that is responsible for the marketing and sales and operation of our New Zealand portfolio. And they get assistance from their colleagues in Australia and in some cases from further afield. But we have a largely New Zealand-based team that operates our events in New Zealand. And that's really helpful to understand the intricacies and the specific things that make operating in New Zealand different from operating in France or even operating in Australia. Okay, that's on the operational side. When it comes to the incomes, uh, the potential of incomes by having a stronger portfolio. I mean, your portfolio is massive. Uh, you mentioned more than 250 events. I think it's more than 50 countries. Um, what is the impact of, on the potential incomes? Well, for for all of our races, we we have a mix of people who are from the area where the race takes place and from different parts of the world. There's a certain number of, at every one of our races, people who travel internationally to those races people who travel from other parts of the country. Every race is different a little bit in terms of the mix of what we call sort of locals or nationals or international athletes. Mm -hmm. And in our ability to balance our messaging, to be appealing to all of those is important. Our, our efforts around bringing in partners, sponsors to events, um, is, again, it is a mix of international partners and, and companies with which we have global or in some cases regional relationships uh, and locals. We have a merchandise business that operates virtually everywhere in the world. And so we have the business is operated partially locally, partially globally, uh, and really is designed on a race-by-race -race basis to mirror sort of the, the international or local composition of the people who participate in that race. Okay. During the COVID, I mean, the ownership has changed uh, to advance family office. How did... Mm -hmm. First, my question would be, why and what did it change for you when it comes to the ultimate goal and uh, what to expect from you, what the, the ownership is expecting from you? That was a hard, hard time to change ownership. I mean, <laughs> COVID times, a lot of struggle for event organizers. Well, we, we were sold during COVID and it was a very, very difficult time. I mean, the COVID years were for us and every other event organizer in the world, um, COVID was a very, very difficult period of time. Um, 
and 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 now with advance as our majority shareholder as opposed to our friends in beijing the the dalian wanda group i think we have a level of engagement that's considerably higher um the the people who i work with on our board and among our shareholders are people whose are are much more finely attuned to the industry and understanding sort of our place in the industry uh wanda was um you know, the wanda years were good years and i think wanda and and the folks at wanda did their best but they were largely a hands-off strategic shareholder and advance in orkyla who's also an, an investor are much more much more focused on being the partner of the management team to help us make good decisions and and continue to grow and develop the sport and our business that's that sounds fantastic and good to work in such an environment and what is the ultimate goals that you're looking for i mean you move from iron man to uh mass participation on events being the largest organizer no what is the ultimate goal keep on increasing the portfolio of events around the globe or improve the existing assets or mix uh what is the ultimate strategies that you have well i think our our bedrock goal is always to deliver exceptional race experiences to our athletes that's that is always the first thing that we focus on i think we view for our main brands ironman ironman 70.3 the utmb world series for example or or trail running events yeah um i think we believe that there continue to be enormous opportunities to expand abroad and there's many 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 parts of the world where there are very few people participating either as triathletes or in trail running or in mountain biking or road cycling and so we're we're very thoughtful about how do we look to put our brands in parts of the world where they haven't been before while making sure that we're delivering the kind of experience for our athletes that we feel is promised from you know by our brand so it's more about consolidating and expanding the existing brand whether it is Ironman or UTMB and expanding to give access to these sports in different regions because when you do organize events in new regions i feel it's you create the demand and the demand and the, and the market is very respond uh respond very well uh when you get somewhere and organize something it seems the market is very happy to welcome this because it was not there and you give this opportunity to make to leave it and to experience it that that's very much our experience that if you if you put a great race into a place where there's never been one before if you're smart and thoughtful about where you put it where on the map where on the calendar that athletes will respond to that mm-hmm. and that the people who are already racing with us will welcome that uh 
And that people who've never had a chance to race with us, perhaps because races were too far away or they didn't have the the means or the attitude to go to go travel to them, um, people are our experience is that people welcome the fact that races are coming to their community. Hmm. UTMB and UTMB World Series might be one of the examples. It used to be a one-stop event, massive uh, and very renowned event in its space. And with the World Series, it got it got global, truly global. And now you speak about UTMB everywhere in the world. We we, we do, and and I think that it, it's a good example that trail running has been a, a, a passion-driven industry since its, since its inception, and that there are passionate race organizers who have created races all around the world. Many of them are small mm-hmm. and, and quite grassroots, and I think that's part of the culture of trail running right now. And, and while that part of the culture is very attractive to many people, there's other people for whom the idea of doing a trail running event um, is a little bit scary. And to have the comfort and confidence that an event is going to be organized at the highest standard that there's going to be a focus on the athlete experience, that there's going to be a focus on safety, that there's going to be a focus on operational details like aid stations and course marking and, and things that really matter to athletes. We, we think that many more people will join the industry. Many more people will, will do races if there are more events that fulfill that role. And that's a critical part of what we're trying to do at the UTMB World Series is is to be able to create an expectation that we can fulfill that races that a UTMB World Series race is going to be an event that is organized at a certain standard of safety and organization and athlete experience and so far we've been very pleased with the reaction that we've had that athletes do value some of the some of of those characteristics um, to a very high extent. So two kinds of markets, the grassroots athletes, the likes of local experience, and and the ones who expect more, and that's where you bring a super high quality standard on how to Mm -hmm. leave the race, okay? And Mm -hmm. UTMB is a family business, um, and they've done it great this way. And getting into a big group, I'm I'm not sure that's easy. (laughs) I have no specific backstage info, so this is nothing of a judgment. But I'm I'm sure it's a it's a different culture. How can you how do you succeed in creating synergies between companies that have a different culture, maybe same values, uh, but a different culture? You know, I I think. Culture and values are are things that are inexorably linked. I I believe that where where we are generally aligned, especially when it comes to the UTMB World Series and trail running, is that 
we we want to create events that introduce people to the amazingly positive and great experience of doing endurance events in nature yeah and to be to be on an adventure in nature with other people who share your passion for you know doing uh doing ambitious things in beautiful places that are hard and and even if you know, we as a large event organizer may be a little bit different from some smaller more grassroots organizers welcoming people to that experience is something that we have in common mm. and and finding a way to do it is i think is really the art and some people might like smaller grassroots events and some people might take comfort in being at bigger events with more people and more support and for the foreseeable future i think people are going to have plenty of choice to be able to choose the type of event they want that is going to give them what i think we all view as immensely positive a great challenging safe experience in nature but people who value sort of smaller things can choose that people who want to be a part of something bigger and more organized they can be a part of that too hmm. yeah there will be option for each type of taste okay um one of the big changes when it, speaking about the ironman now one of the big changes you made is about the world championship uh and personally i love that decision <laughs> uh uh doing the women and the main race in different locations and different time if i'm correct one month different mm -hmm. and then rotate uh so nice and hawaii and then so men and women and then the opposite until 2023 until 2026 can you let us know the why and the consequences of such a decision because it's uh, it's very different what well, is it is very different and i think that the foundational decision for us was whether women deserved their own day of racing you know historically up until 2023 for ironman at the world championship there was one day of racing and the men's race and the women's race took place at the same time and that created a whole series of issues both operational and perceptual around sort of the position of men versus women in our sport and ironman has always had a, a very proud role in gender equality you know in 1986 when ironman for the very first time introduced prize money we introduced equal prize money for men and women and since 1986 there's never been a year where we didn't give the same amount of prize money to men and and to women and there's no other organization in the world that can say that you know we we were the first to offer pro prize money in equality in pro prize money you know we you know women 
have been racing Ironman since the second year when Lynn Lemaire, you know, raced and, 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 and finished the second Ironman world championship back in Oahu. There's never been a time when the distances were different for men and for women. There's never been a time when the time cutoffs were different for men and for women. There's never been a time when prize money was different for men and women. It's always been the same. And we take great pride in that. And one of the things that has become increasingly clear to us is that when you have a one-day world championship, men and women racing at the same time, the experience the women face is really different. And, and it's affected on two sides. The, the very fast professional women interact with the back of the men's field, of the pro men's field, and the slower pro women, particularly the slower swimmers and cyclists, interact with the front of the men's age group field. And there is no solution to that problem when men and women are on the same course, pros and age groupers. And we solved that problem on the 70.3 side in 2017 when we went to two days of racing. And we have the first day historically has been an all women professional and age group day. The second day is professional and age group men. And that's worked remarkably well. It's been an extraordinarily positive development for, for us. It's great for men. It's great for women. And, and that led us to believe that on the Ironman side, women needed to have their own day to fully be treated as equals. And we did that, and we're on track to do that in Kona when it became clear that Kona, for a whole bunch of reasons, just was not able to accommodate two days of racing. That the, the size of the community and the impact of the community just was not able to accommodate that. And so it left us with a, a very difficult choice, which is we could go back to a single day of racing in Kona. Mm -hmm. Everybody races on one day. Mm -hmm. Or we could give women their own day but it would result in at least one of those days not being in Kona. And our choice was you know, to, to give women their due. And we think that's the right thing to do. And it's going to be different. You know, having a, a men's only race in Nice, having a women's only race in Kona will be something we've never done before. It's a giant experiment. And it will take some time, we think, for everyone to become accustomed to it. But we think it's the right thing to do in the long term. And we think that women, if given their own day, given the sole spotlight, are going to put on, both pros and age groupers, are going to put on an amazing show. Yeah. And it will be another step in demonstrating what real gender equality in sport looks like. And we're really proud to be a part of it. Yeah, it's a fantastic, it's a fantastic move. And it will celebrate women, celebrate men as they deserve it uh, for such athletes. 
And Nice and Kona, it's very different. So every year, so we'll need different skills uh, because the training is very different if you train for Nice or if you train for Kona. Well, and and, and that's that's a secondary benefit that I think we're excited to learn more about. Kona is a very specific race. Yeah. And, and not everyone has the ability to thrive in those conditions. And so to have an event in France that's cooler and less humid, the it's a different kind of swim. It's a different kind of bike for sure. Yeah. And it's a different kind of run. And so I think we're all really intrigued to see if the typical Hawaii type of athlete is as successful there. And we'll find that out. Yeah, that's going to be that's what makes it even more interesting. And from the beginning of that conversation, it's always athletes experience, athletes first. How did you involve athletes in the process in the, to take that decision? How do you involve more generally athletes to innovate and improve, whether it's opening new categories or develop, developing new new formats? How do you work with the athletes to grow to grow the sports and to grow the events you organize? Well, I think first and foremost, it's important to recognize that a great many of us, a great many of us, are athletes, and and we may work for Ironman, but we are also passionate age groupers that are deeply, deeply involved in the athlete communities. And we go to races and we talk to people, we compete in races and we talk to people, we talk to people at our training sessions on the weekends. And, you know, we're, we are, you know, there, there are between all of the people and the folks that we interact with regularly, we're talking to thousands of athletes at any given point in time. And, and we're highly attuned to the perceptions of those athletes and what they're really looking for and, and what's behind the immediate reaction that, that people have, because part of what we have an obligation to do is to recognize that people find in general change to be difficult, but you can't make progress without change. And so finding the balance between how do we make progress and do it in a way that's going to be consistent with our values and consistent with the needs of the community is an art form. It really is. And, and one that we take pretty seriously. Hmm. Speaking about experience, you mentioned locations, uh, you mentioned the services given to the athletes, immersion in nature um, or cities. Um, but what techs do you think, uh, so technologies, do you think will impact the experiences as well? You know, I think that we, we're, we're constantly looking at different technologies. Some of them have to do with training. And, and are there products or goods or services that we can help facilitate and put in front of our athletes that will make their training experiences be more efficient or more enjoyable or deliver 
enhance performance or all of the above. Um, we also look pretty carefully at different types of training or of, of different types of like race level technology uh, and whether that's about tracking or looking at ways in which we can help either our athletes or our officials monitor the bike course more effectively. All of those things are, are things that are very much top of mind for us. To, to what? To share the experience of the athletes to the community, so families, friends, and beyond, to expand the media experience, to be able to translate more what the athletes are living. What is it you're looking for when you, when you work on that? Well, all, all of the above. We want to enhance the athlete experience, and an athlete experience extends to friends and family that are at races. Um, we, at the same time, very much want to use technology to help people be ready for the events. People yeah. put a lot of effort and a lot of care into our events, and and being in a position where we're where we're helping them be as ready as they can be is something that's very meaningful for our athletes. Hmm. Right. What territories? both geographical or sports disciplines you would love to be in and you're not yet? If you had a dream, what would it be? Your next new event? Um, oh, I don't know. You know, it, it's, uh, I think there's still lots of parts of the world where where we can expand and, and where there are potential Ironman or, Ironman 70.3 trail running athletes. Um, and I think we're, we'll, we'll look there before we start thinking, are there other types of endurance sports properties that we'll look in? Yeah. Okay. So to close, um, to close that conversation, I've got a series of questions. It's a quick series for quick answers. And I'm curious to see, are you ready? Yes. All right. Who's your favorite all-time athlete and why? In our sport or anywhere? Anywhere. Oh, Irvin Magic Johnson, number <laughs> 32, Los Angeles Lakers. In your sport? In our sport, Paul Anubi Frazier. <laughs> Who's your favorite coach? Lance Watson, because he's my coach. <laughs> and he takes a bit and he gets the best of you <laughs> what what is your favorite sport event i like riding my bicycle where have you been the most amazed as a participant hawaii ironman hawaii i've never raced ironman hawaii i've never i'm not good enough to qualify but i've done honu four times What is your favorite sound in sport? The sound of Mike Riley at the finish line. What is it like? Inspirational. <laughs> What is your favorite word? Yes. <laughs> you don't take a note for granted, right? Uh, one great advice you have received or learned you would like to share. If opportunity knocks, answer the door. What professionals as a news would you like to attend? 
I like the I like the profession I'm in. It took me most of my adult life to get there. I'm right where I want to be. <laughs> If you had one more hour every day, what would you do with it? Spend it with my family. And if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Welcome. Thank you so much, Andrew. I would love this conversation to go way beyond maybe one day around a drink in some one of the competitions. But thank you so much for your time. And It's a pleasure. We'll continue it in either Kona or Nice. Uh, a semi, a 70.3 could be more adequate for my abilities. <laughs> But yes, right. I take it. All right. Thanks so much and all the best. And thanks, thanks right. again for your time. Cheers. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you all for listening to a new SIS Masters podcast. We'd love you to subscribe. Please leave a review or rate the podcast. It will help us improve. We'd love to see you in the next episode. Enjoy. Enjoy.